Hi, I'm Renee Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. Make sure that you like and subscribe to our weekly sermons so that you don't miss what is happening here at Bethel Austin. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. And most of all, we pray that you would have an encounter with the living God today. Good to be here this morning. It's good to worship. We've had just a great weekend, great worship this morning. We had incredible worship last night. God's doing some amazing things. It's such a privilege to be a part of a community that loves to worship, that loves to go after God. Amen. And uh, this morning, I'm going to share some things out of 1 Thessalonians with you. I'm sure you've all been reading that this week, right? I'm, I'm sure that's one of the books that you go to all the time. It's kind of one of these books that we often don't think about much, but it's really powerful. Janessa Waite and I did a class on it. And um, there's a little section in here that I said, Janessa, I said, listen, I'm going to preach this at Bethel Austin, so you can't. (laughs) I said, you can have any other thing in this book if you ever share, but you can't have this. And so um, I want to share it with you. The title of this message is The Thunderclap of Heaven. Come on, give me some. Yeah, I love my titles. I love a message. I could spend more time on the title than the message sometimes um, because I just love a good title. But um, just to kind of set this up a little bit, Paul ministered in Greece. The Apostle Paul ministered in Greece um, on his second missionary journey is when he began to, to hit Greece. And the guys that we know of that were on that journey were Paul, you had Silas, um, you had Timothy, and you also had Luke. Luke was recording many of these things. And so the First Thessalonians, it's Acts 17, I believe, is where you can see the story of what happened in uh, Thessalonica. But before that, Paul had gone to, uh, to Philippi. And so he goes to Philippi. And in Philippi, um, Paul, that story, you know, they got thrown in jail, as they often did uh, for preaching the gospel. They were beat and then thrown in jail. Um, but while they were in jail, they just began to worship. Paul and Silas just began to have a worship service. Talks about how they worship till midnight, and at midnight an earthquake happens. The doors of the jail slam open. But um, they heard the Holy Spirit, and they stayed there in the jail. And so when the jailer comes back, he was about to kill himself because he realized he would have probably been tortured and killed um, for the prisoners going free. Um, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know where he was when that happened. But Paul and Silas stayed there, and they said, no, 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 wait a second here. And then they shared the gospel with him, and he and his whole family got saved. And that was the beginning of really Paul's ministry in Greece, and that was the beginning of the church plant in in Philippi. You know, it sounds like a great day at the office, right? (laughs) Yeah. And and so then Paul, from there, they, they go to the city of Thessalonica. Um, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. I work really hard to try to find the Greek pronunciations, which isn't spoken anymore. Today, the city still exists. Um, It was a big city back then. It's a big city now, maybe a million people. It's considered the second most um, important city in all of Greece, very prosperous city. I believe it's called Thessaloniki now, but it was Thessalonica back then. So if I get that interchanged, I'm sorry. Um, I'm doing my best. But it was very prosperous. It was set in the shadow of Mount Olympus. Anybody ever heard of Mount Olympus? It's where the Olympics come from, right? And um, 
just to kind of give you an understanding of their cultures, very advanced, philosophy, art, all those things were very much a part of the Greek culture. And the religion, you had the Greek pantheon, you had these false gods like Zeus, you had Aphrodite, um, Hades, Artemis, Diana, um, you, and you had Apollo, Ares, these different gods. And so I wanna, I wanna give you a picture of what Paul was stepping into. Paul took the gospel, he took the power of Jesus into these cultures that worshiped all these other gods. And the gospel began to spread through these communities. Right there in the shadow of Mount Olympus where the Greeks believed Zeus lived, Paul is taking the gospel into this city. And the gospel penetrates the city in a really, really powerful way. But we know that as they began to, to plant this church there that the, the authorities of the city got really upset. They were staying with a guy named Jason and uh, they dragged them out of the house. They dragged Jason, they dragged all these guys out or, or they dragged Jason out. Paul and Silas and the other guys, they, they had to actually flee the city. Jason gets taken before the magistrates of the city. They, they essentially warn him not to ever have these guys back and he, they have to pay a fine. So Paul's gone, they're all gone. You know, it's interesting that Paul had to flee. I believe he, had, he did that probably because it was gonna get really intense, not just for him, but by him being there, it was gonna be very intense for the church. So they take off and they leave. And so that's, that's based, you can read about that in Acts 17. And I'm gonna go this morning to the first chapter. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go to the first chapter. And I'm just gonna work through a little bit of a passage here and uh, kind of work up to what I wanna actually say. Preachers always do that, right? You gotta preach a message before you preach your message. All right, this is Paul's first letter, first letter that he wrote to church. And um, as we look at this, I want you to put, I want you to take off your individual lens. And I want you to put on your community lens. I think sometimes we don't, understand parts of the Bible, particularly Paul's writings, because we approach it as individuals, but Paul was writing it to a community. And if we're really gonna understand what church is, we've got to take our individual lens off and we've got to begin to understand that God always speaks to a people or a community. He did it in the Old Testament. He spoke to a people in the New Testament, he continues to speak to a people, the church. And so if we have our individual lens on and we're looking at the word in, in an individual way, we're, we're gonna miss what God is saying. Now, he does speak to us individually, but we don't wanna just live as an individual. We live inside of a, a community. And so everything that we gain as an individual is actually not for us, it's for the community. It's for those that are around us. Any success that we have is for the community. Amen, and God wants to change kind of our understanding of that. So, but we see here in verse one, Paul, Silvanus, I love it that Paul called uh, Silas Silvanus here. It's probably what his mother called him, you know, and Timothy, it's kind of this official thing. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, I could preach a whole message on that section right there, but I'm just gonna move on. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Verse three, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we see here these three powerful characteristics of the Thessalonians. And it's important to understand they were being persecuted heavily. They were under intense pressure. And Paul sends Timothy to them. When he gets the report back, when you read through the lines there, you can see Paul was so excited and almost surprised at how well these guys were doing. And so you see here, though, these three powerful characteristics. We also see these in 1 Corinthians 13, but this is the first time that Paul has used these. Um, And the first one is he talks about faith. And I love how he presents it here. He says in verse three, your work of faith. So the Thessalonians had faith. And faith, my de- I preached on this, but I've got a definition, my own definition of faith, which is this. Divine persuasion or faith is the title deed guaranteeing future possession, substance, this is from Hebrews 11.1, 1, of things expected to manifest because of God's goodness, hope for, the proof or the evidence of heaven's reality, things not seen. And so faith essentially is being divinely persuaded. And it talks about here that these guys had the work of faith. And you know, according to James, uh, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And so God calls us to partner with him in what we're expecting to manifest. And he's calling us to do the work of faith. And faith is something that fuels expectancy in our hearts. And as it fuels that expectancy, God wants us to begin to listen to him about what we're supposed to do, what steps we're supposed to take. So faith without works is dead, and faith invites us to pull that future reality into our present reality. But there's this work of faith. So if I'm going to pull my future reality into the present, there are often steps that God is going to tell me to take to do that. And so they were working, guys. They had the work of faith. Faith wasn't just stagnant. It wasn't just sitting still. It didn't just stay in the dreamland. They were actually actively moving forward into what God had for them. So God is inviting us to be a people that have the work of faith. Amen? That our faith would cause us to begin to do the things, even though we can't see how it's going to happen, and begin to pull in heaven's reality. Now, the second thing here that Paul talked about was the labor of love. And labor here denotes fatigue. It's hard labor. So when you look at this word, when you kind of dive into the the depth of this word, it's talking about hard labor. It's talking about work. It's it's talking about something that'll make you, you sweat. And love is the motivator of faith. Uh, love causes us to do the work of faith. And Galatians 5, 6 says, faith works through love. And so love is, is very powerful. Love is to be the motivator that moves us in everything that we do. And you know, one of the great examples of this to me is, is a mother's love. I don't know, I love watching the young mothers do what they do. I mean, God, dads, you're awesome, but man, the mothers, come on. I mean, they, they are working, they are doing what's necessary for their kids, and they just keep doing it. Your kids get older, you keep doing it. So moms, moms are so powerful. They demonstrate that labor of love, and it's a lot of work. When I watch uh, young moms with little kids, I'm like, man, that, 
that was so much work for Stacy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was for me, but I mean, the moms, you guys are amazing. What you do, the, you, you exemplify this characteristic of a labor of love so much. There's nothing you wouldn't do for your kids. And it's hard sometimes, but you just keep doing it. You don't stop, why? Because you have that love inside of your heart for your kids. Well, we're to operate in this same thing in the church. We're to labor in love. We're to work hard in love. We're to serve. We're to give in love. That's how we do it, in love. Everything that we do here. I mean, let me just say this, guys. I've been in ministry for about 30 years. There's a lot of stuff I don't like about ministry. Amen? I mean, I like... I. Listen, I like to get up here and do this, but there's a lot of stuff I got to do during the week that, that if I didn't have, but I do it because of love, but if I didn't have that, I would not do ministry. A lot of people are like, I want to get in ministry. I'm like, all right, here's your shovel. <laughs> you got to shovel. Well, I better stay away from that. You got to shovel stuff sometimes. And so there's stuff, you know. There's a lot of stuff in church that we need to do that we don't necessarily just like doing, but we have the love of God in us, and so we do it in a love for him, and we do it out of a love for other people. Yeah. Amen? Church is not to be a, it, it's not all about me. It's about serving and loving other people. Amen. Amen? All right. And I want you to catch this because this is really important to what I'm gonna say, what I really wanna say. But the next thing we see here is the steadfastness, the steadfastness of hope. What's steadfastness? Endurance. So steadfastness is endurance, and hope is the expectancy of God's goodness. And expectancy is, the, is expectation with anticipation. And so God has called us to have endurance in our expectation or our expectancy. So we need to learn to do that. And so hope, I want you to think of hope as like this. So, and another way that you could define hope is it brings, I think Joaquin preached on this one time, it means to anticipate with pleasure and to welcome. I think that, didn't you preach a message on that? Yeah, it was an awesome word. And so hope is it, this idea of welcome. So when I'm walking in hope, I'm, I'm standing and I'm anticipating I have expectancy of what God's gonna do. Because he's good, I can stand there and I can wait. I don't see, I don't have yet what I'm hoping for, but I'm standing and waiting. And the idea is that, that I'm standing wel welcoming, waiting to welcome that manifestation from heaven. And so when I'm standing in hope, I am waiting for that manifestation, but, I, but my attitude is one of, of welcoming and it's um, one of pleasure. And so we need to learn to endure in our hope. We don't always get the answers that we're looking for as quickly as we'd like. I don't know if anyone's ever experienced that. You know, I know a lot of people get healed here, but there's a lot of people that haven't been healed yet. And you know, you could get healed and you see it, you're like, man, they're getting healed. I want to encourage you in something. If, if you're, I, listen, I've had things where I needed to be healed and I prayed for someone else and they got healed and I'm still not healed. So what do I do? I need to just keep standing with anticipation, welcoming that manifestation from heaven. That's the attitude I have to take. And so if I'm not seeing yet what I believe that God wants to bring, I need to learn to endure. 
There is something to endurance. Now, we don't like that word. I don't like to run. <laughs> I hate it, actually, right? I'm not an endurance athlete, as you can probably tell. <laughs> Maybe I need to be. But endurance is tough because, I mean, you feel like quitting a lot, right? When you're, at least I do. When I run, pretty much the first 10 feet, I'm thinking about quitting. But, but endurance means that I just keep going. My body doesn't feel good. I don't like it, but I just keep at it. And so that, when we have steadfastness in our hope, we just keep going. Everything around us could not feel great, but we've got our eyes focused, anticipating that the goodness of God is going to break through, and everything around me can feel, it just doesn't feel great, but I am focused on that breakthrough coming. Amen. And so God wants us to learn to stand in the steadfastness of hope. And so we hear, we see here these three things. We see this labor of, we see this faith, this working faith, this labor of love, and this steadfastness of hope working inside of these guys. And this was a young church. This was a new church, and you have these powerful things, these characteristics of God that were working. So let's just keep going. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And so this was a community that, <clears throat> that was loved by God and that was chosen. Did you know you've been chosen by God? Before, I don't wanna get too much into this, but before you chose him, he chose you. And the love of God, he loves us. So this was a community chosen by God, drawing its life from, from God, demonstrating God's life, through love, by works of faith, and maintaining hope in adversity. And these guys had real persecution. It was so intense. Again, I said earlier, Paul had to flee this. It's very intense persecution. Keep going. Verse five. And it says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And so, I'm not gonna focus too much here, but um, not only in word, but in power. The gospel doesn't just come in word, it comes in power. But, and it's an and, it's not one or the other. A lot of people wanna camp on one or the other. We need word and we need power together. Word and power, we need God's word, but we also need the power of God. That's how he wants us to operate. And the Holy Spirit, and, um, you know, it's interesting right here. I don't want to focus too much on it, but as I was reading this, um, all these jokes began to come to my mind. And so we're going to take a joke break real quick, if that's okay. Is that all right with you guys? I've never put, you're supposed to do that the first of the message, right? But I just thought about our culture. We love, man, you say power, you say Holy Spirit, we're all over that, right? We're like, hey, yeah, all right. Holy Spirit, fire, yeah, fire, everybody's screaming, yeah. So we love that, and I love that about our culture. But we have this joke, so when we put together equip classes, um, if you, we've learned if you wanna get more signups that um, you need to throw things like healing or revival in the title. Um, if you do that, I guarantee you you're gonna get more signups. Now, we don't always do that, we have to kind of resist that. But uh, I know, like, if I, you know, I can turn... I could turn you know, a class on Lamentations into a revival paragraph description for that, and y'all are all over it. But uh, I was thinking about it, so, and I was thinking about some of these titles that, that didn't make it. Actually, I just made these up. 
And I think I spent more time on this in my actual message. But um, so, so the first title is uh, Parenting 101, What to Do When Your Future Revivalist Is Not Acting Like One. So we would get a lot of signups for that class, I'm sure, right? Um, let's, uh, what about this one? Um, revive Your Marriage, Make It Sizzle Like Saturday Night Service. Okay. <laughs> Sunday too, but all right. How to eat healthy. Revival tastes so good. You know, that's a class coming. I think Renee wants to do a health class, yeah. All right. Now, these are jokes for the YouTube people out there. Please don't, please don't start quoting me on, online that this is our doctrine or something. Unleash your dogs in a revivalist. Okay, we could do a class on dog training. Yeah. But sorry, we're not gonna have a class on cats because they don't go to heaven. I'm sorry, all right. I'm a dog person, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tell you cat people that it's not gonna happen. But anyway, uh, here's a great one. How to survive a fire tunnel. You ever been in one, guys? Yeah, gets wild in there. Or maybe a better title, How to Maximize Your Fire Tunnel Experience. We could do that class. You're thinking, what the heck? Where's this message going, right? Um, one more, a comprehensive study on revival language. Wow, wow, come on, fire. I'm so wrecked, I'm toasted. Bam, and then simply, whoa, all right, all right, yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be down at the Long Center next week, I've always wanted to be a comedian, so anyway, got, there's my opportunity, I don't know how I can get back to where I was going now after that, you know, it's good to laugh, right? You know, you, I was, Stacy put a clip of this guy up the other day and I was like, man, that's so right. You can't laugh. You can't laugh and feel sad at the same time. You could be in a sad moment and laugh and that sad moment for that moment's gone, right? So we need to laugh. We need to enjoy each other and uh, we need to laugh when the Holy, in the Holy Spirit joy, but we also need to laugh at Shane's jokes. So yeah, we need to do those things. All right, so let's get to what I actually want to say here. This is what I feel like God wants to communicate to us. So we see this church, a powerful church, very powerful, young church, and they're operating in faith, hope, and love. They're the things that Paul called in 1 Corinthians the greatest, and the greatest of those, obviously, is love. And so they're, they're working, they're being steadfast, they're laboring in, in love. And so that's what's important. If we're going to be a healthy if we're gonna be a healthy church, the, the way that God wants it to operate, we need to be laboring in love in each other's lives. Amen? All right, so verse six, and it says this. This is where it gets really powerful. It says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
And so we see here in this passage, in the midst of affliction. So we see that the word is coming in the midst of affliction. But in that affliction, they were walking in the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And it says, though, that you received the word, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And so they were imitating the Lord. They were modeling They were taking the model that the apostles were setting and then they were receiving from the Lord and they became imitators. In other words, they weren't just hearers, but they became doers. They began to imitate. Their lives began to model the kingdom and the gospel and the culture of the kingdom. And that's what the apostles were bringing to them. And then it says that they became an example to all the believers in Macedonia. So they were, they were taking this model of the apostles and they were receiving from the Lord and they're taking it in and they're beginning to do it. And as they do it, they actually became an example to all the other churches. This young church under all this affliction, they're being persecuted for their faith. They become an example to all the other believers. And that's what God has called us to be, is to be examples. But the only way we're gonna be examples is that we learn to be imitators. I can't be an example unless I'm an imitator, unless I imitate, unless I emulate what the Lord is, who he is and what he's doing, amen? When I see the fruit of the spirit in someone else, you know what I do? I like to be around that person because I wanna begin to imitate them. There are people in this room, your fruit inspires me. There's things that you're walking at a higher level in than I am, and so I wanna be around you because when I get around you, it rubs off on me, and I can begin to take that fruit, and I can begin to model it and be an example as well. So many of you are an example in here. We're all an example in some facet, in some way, but you're an example of the faith, love, and the hope, and all the different fruits of the Spirit that that God brings. But here's where I love this passage in verse eight. It says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so in verse eight, there's a very powerful word here. It says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. And so this word here is exio. And exio in the Greek means this. It means sound, ring, peal, or boom. It means like an, think of it as like an echo. And it would have been used in the first century to describe things like a clap of thunder or a blast of a trumpet or a waterfall. And so it's an echo. This echo of heaven, heaven was on them and echoing out of them. And so this thunderclap was being spread all through Greece of what was happening with this congregation of young believers under intense persecution. They became an example to all. Their faith, their hope, and their love became an example of all, and it was echoing heaven, echoing heaven. It was like a thunderclap out into the world around them. And so, It wasn't just what they were saying, it was because of who they were that it was echoing out. And I, as I look at this, I think, Lord, I want, I want to be an echo of heaven. 
In fact, I wanna be a thunderclap of heaven. I wanna be a waterfall. I want to be echoing out heaven. I want that reverberation of heaven to go out of my life, out into the world. Amen? But I want to say something important about this. Again, I said it at the beginning of the message. Paul was speaking to a community. He was speaking to a people. So for us to be an echo, for us to be a thunderclap, we've got to understand the we. God has not called us to individualistic Christianity. And I want to encourage you, if if Bethel Austin is your home church, be here. Engage. Serve. Love. Go after God. If this isn't your home church, if you're called somewhere else, be there. Be there. Serve your church. Give to your church. Love your church. Because the echo doesn't just come out of one, it's the we. Amen. I mean, I have some effect on people around me, but the we, oh, the we is powerful. The we can spread throughout a country. The we could spread throughout the world. Amen. And you know, we're a young church. We're a new church, really. And God is, God is putting us together and he's bringing us together. But we've, we've really got to, we can't just be in the building. We've got to be a we. We've got to come together. We've, we've got to get in community. And so if we're not in community, if we're not, you know, if we're not in community, we're just not going to, we're not going to affect the world. And so God has called us to be in community. The early church, it wasn't, it wasn't like Costco, you know, or Walmart. I'm going to pick which one I go to, you know, it was, they were engaging in community together. They were giving their lives. They were sharing their lives. And so we can't treat it like, you know, a, a store, we have to come and say, what can I give? What can I do? How can I be a part? Yeah. Amen. I loved it. There was, I was talking to someone last night and they said, um, they was here for a short time, but they said, God's calling me to Austin. I'm moving here. What, what, where can I sign up? <laughs> and I was like, that's a great question. That's an awesome question. So I told them how they could do it. But it is a we. You know, <clears throat> in Ephesians, I want to just say this. In Ephesians, uh, uh, where it talks about us being seated in heavenly places. Did you know that passage um, is where we're seated with Christ and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places? That passage indicates to me that when we're in heaven, we're actually not gonna sit on an individual throne. We are seated. We, the church, we, God's people, are seated in heavenly places. And if you look at the Greek in that passage, it is, it is truly a we, it is a us. It's not that I'm seated in heavenly places, it's that we together are seated in heavenly places. Amen? You know, it's not like, all right, where's my throne? <laughs> you know, as an individual, it's a we thing. And so even that passage, when we talk about heavenly places, it's a, it's a we thing. And so our impact as an individual will be small no matter how loud we get without if we're not investing in community. Amen? Amen. So, so don't be an attendee. Become a part of the echo. Become a part of the echo. And begin to labor in love. I, let me, can I just encourage you? Do things you don't actually want to do. 
Amen. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff. Let me just say, I said it already, right? There's a lot of stuff that I don't always want to do, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. You know, my grandfather, he used to have us memorize these sayings and, um, he had like 20 of them. Every three months we could do it and he'd give us a silver dollar for each one. But one of them, I don't know where he got it, but one of those, when I see something that needs to be done, I do it. And uh, so I don't wait for someone else to do it. I see it, I do it. It's, fun. it's amazing, those silver dollars worked because <laughs> I could stand up here today and quote that in different ones that he gave me. But um, we need to be a people to be a thunderclap. Other thing, I'm landing pretty quick here. For heaven to be heard through us, we've won, we've got to align to it. Um, heaven doesn't align to me, I align to it, right? So I, it's not, it doesn't, and it doesn't always fit my schedule, <laughs> right? And so I, I've got to align to it. I don't know if you ever felt it. I don't, a long church service, sometimes it's like, oh man, I'm ready to go home and, and I need to just get in line with what God's doing because God's doing something. Now, it's okay to go home sometimes, but there's sometimes I'm supposed to stay and I don't because I, I, I'm, not get, I'm not aligned, I'm fighting it. Have you ever fought? Have you ever fought getting aligned with what heaven's doing? Yeah, yeah and so I don't wanna fight that. And so we've gotta align. We've, we've got to turn off other sources. So here's the thing, guys. We echo what we're turned towards. Okay? Um, the world's pretty much in chaos right now right? And there's all these internal frustrations that are, that are happening. But if I live in frustration, if I live focused on the negative that's happening around me, um, guess what? That's what I'm going to echo. I'm going to echo the environment that I'm focused on. So, you know, if I'm focused on the political environment, I'm gonna echo the frustration, whatever side or wherever you fall in that, you're gonna be frustrated because the other side's not doing what you think. And you're, you know, it's just, so you're gonna, just gonna live in frustration. And so, and you'll begin to echo that frustration and you'll begin to echo that, but God hasn't called us to be an echo of anything but the kingdom, amen? And so I'm not, I refuse. It doesn't mean there aren't problems, but I don't think the solution is in me turning towards that, becoming frustrated and just voicing it and splattering it all over the place. And so God has called the church not to be an echo of any other thing but the kingdom. That's what we're called to echo. And you know, I believe if we would echo the kingdom, then all those things can change. Amen. And you know, there's a lot at stake here right now in our country, guys. We have a whole generation that's actually losing its identity in ways that we never, ever dreamed could happen. Very warped ways. It's losing its identity. And, and I wanna make a statement here. I wanna make a statement that some of you might not like, but it's truth. It's not because of the media or polit politics. It's not because of that. It's because the sound of revival is not loud enough in the church. It's because, and I'm not speaking here, I'm speaking just in general, the echo is not loud enough in our society. And because of that, because the, the, the power and the presence and the, 
the faith and the love is not coming out of the church. You've got a whole generation that is becoming even disillusioned with their own identity. And we need to understand that revival is what will transform. And so, and here's, here's what I often see in this day and age the church will do. In general, we see a lot of this. Uh, everyone's out there yelling and protesting, uh, expecting people who do not know Jesus to line up with their belief system. But, I mean, come on, guys. There's no way to line up with, with Jesus unless you've been transformed by him. Amen. I mean, we can yell all day long. We can be frustrated and mad and we can go after it and we can say that's not right. But you're talking to people who do not know Jesus. They have not been transformed by his power. So you know what they do? That's what they do. They do those things. And so if we want to see people step in to God's into morality and all of those things, we're only going to get there if people encounter Jesus. And how do they encounter Jesus? They encounter Jesus when the church becomes an echo of heaven. Amen. That's when they encounter Jesus. So we carry, we carry a message. The me- we carry the most important message that could ever be carried. The gospel is the most important message that could ever be carried. It has the power to actually change culture. And the proof of it is in Greece, in the shadow of Mount Olympus, they're worshiping all these other gods. They were a completely immoral cu- culture, probably more so than what we're even experiencing in our own land. Yet the gospel penetrated that culture and churches were raised up in places like Philippi and Corinth and, and, uh, and here in Thessalonica and other places in Greece. And God brought transformation in those places and the gospel spread. We stand here today because someone there was an echo. Whoa, I just felt that. Someone was an echo of the kingdom of heaven in Greece, and because of that, the church is here today because those people in much affliction stood in joy and they stood in faith and they labored in love. We stand here today and proclaim the kingdom. Amen, because this is where it started. This was, this, area, this was the first Philippi and then this church, this was the second church planted in Europe, period. This was the beginning. So we carry the power to change culture but we can't just speak it, we have to live it. We can't just hear it, we have to do it. We have to throw our lives into what God is doing and we need to throw our lives into community, amen? And I wanna end, there's a story, this happened in Palestine where Richie's preaching, I used to pastor there. And um, there's a guy, he's sitting outside of our church we were kind of in, we're kind of in this little downtown area, and uh, we're just worshiping, just going after God. Um, you know, we would we were in a revival time. We would have, I mean, our, like four or five hour services, but you never you never got tired because the pre, when presence of God was just so thick. I mean, where else do you want to be? <laughs> Dairy Queen, <laughs> you know, Walmart, right? This is East Texas, guys. So. I think we sought God so much because, I mean, one, there was not a lot to do, which is a good thing. But no, we, we really loved him. We were going after him. We were experiencing revival, experiencing his presence. And so we're just in there worshiping. And I'm, I don't know, I'm standing up at the front and I see a guy come in the back door 
and he's walking down the center aisle and he's doing it, he's pulling things off of his body, he's pulling jewelry off and he's dropping as that he comes. He's pulling all this stuff off. He had like crystals and all kinds of new age stuff on him, stuff that he thought would protect him. And so he's throwing this off and he comes to the front and he falls down under God's power and he gets saved right there on the spot. His name was Victor and became a part of our church. It was really, really powerful. And so I was like, this is amazing. And I love to find out when I see something like that. I'm really curious. It's like, what was going on with you? What were you experiencing that moment? And this guy had never heard the gospel. And he wasn't a typical East Texas guy. I don't know where he came from, but he had never heard the gospel. He didn't know anything about Jesus. And he's in all this, he's in all kinds of weird stuff. And, um, and so he's pulling all this off. And I said, what happened? He said, when I walked in the door, he said, I'd never felt a presence like that so pure. He didn't know how to describe it. He said it was so pure that, and this is amazing. No one told him anything was bad about those things that he had on. He said, I just began to t throw them off because they felt dirty. In that pure presence, it felt dirty. So powerful. You know, God wants to do that. But it comes in the echo of heaven. It comes in the reverberation of heaven that God wants to bring. And God has called not just us, but he's called all his people. But right here, this is where we are. I wanna encourage you, get in the echo. Give your life to what God's doing. There's something amazing that is happening here, but we haven't seen anything yet. We, God, we can begin to change culture, God through us. We can change this city. We can join with other believers all across this city and we can see Austin change, but it's only as we reflect heaven, nothing else. We have to put every other source aside and begin to reflect heaven. And then we'll see the change that we long for. Amen, let's stand up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm gonna pray over you guys and then I'm gonna turn it over. Uh, I don't know to who, but anyway, sorry. <laughs> but can we lift our hands? God, we ask for fire. Mm. We ask for Holy Spirit fire. We ask for your presence, God, we ask together as your people for a greater level of heaven in this place, a greater level of your presence, a greater level of faith, a greater level of love, and a greater level of hope. And God, that joy would break out like never before in this place. And God, we would serve you with a loving heart. God, we would serve you with joy that we would, that we would build as you have called us to build a place, God, for your presence, a place for you. Everybody said, amen. Be blessed guys. Thanks for listening to the sermon of the week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.